And would you now hear the reading of God's word this morning? It comes from, again, as we started last week, the book of Hebrews. Last week we were in Hebrews 11. And this morning, uh, as we'll continue on throughout Holy Week, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So would you hear now the reading of God's word? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Let me pray for us once more as we transition to hearing the word of God taught today. Heavenly Father, we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, And for the glory of Jesus' name, that you would teach us according to your word. Open our ears and our hearts to hear your message for us today. And that we would grow in faith. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are going to be dwelling in this text all week. So if you have a chance to come out on Thursday night or on Friday afternoon. Or certainly next Sunday on Easter Sunday. We'll be in the same text. Just zooming in more and more and more to the particularities of this passage. This is a beautiful passage, Hebrews chapter 12. You remember last week we were in Hebrews 11 and we learned about faith. We heard a definition of faith and we didn't read all the stories. Remember I said there's 28 different examples of people who lived by faith that are given in Hebrews 11. So I encouraged you to maybe go back and read some of those stories last week and and find your heart drawn towards one or several of those folks. But this week, again, chapter one or or verse one of chapter 12, therefore, therefore, because of faith and knowing what faith is and seeing it lived out in the lives of people in the past, therefore, what does it mean for you and me? What does it mean for us today? And so this this little three-week mini-series that we're doing is, is titled Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus. And you, you find that today in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, or the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And so uh, that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning, is now we're looking directly at the faith itself. And I'm looking at Jesus on the back stained glass window here. So I get the joy of looking at him. You can see him on other stained glass windows here as well. But fixing our eyes on the image of Jesus, the person, but then also fixing our spiritual eyes on him as well. So as the introduction, just to kind of get us started, does anybody know what year First Baptist Church of Salem started? 1804. We got some good historians here. You're absolutely right. 1804. And I discovered something kind of cool this week that something else very significant started in 1804 as well. Anybody know? There's probably a, probably a lot of things. It's a, it's a full year. So probably a lot of really influential things happened in 1804. 
But the one that I'm thinking of is it's the year that President Thomas Jefferson gave a task to Meriwether Lewis to explore the lands west of the Mississippi River that comprised the Louisiana Purchase, thus beginning the famous Lewis and Clark Expeditions, which is a pioneering effort to go out to this newly acquired land for Americans. Obviously, the Native Americans are there, and that's part of the story. But Lewis, Meriwether Lewis, brought along together William Clark as his co-leader for this mission, and they brought together 40 other comrades to take a two-year journey that, as one person says, where they confronted harsh weather, unforgiving terrain, treacherous waters, injuries, starvation, disease, and both friendly and hostile Native Americans, which was their land originally, right? Nevertheless, the approximately 8,000-mile journey was deemed a huge success and provided new geographic, ecological, and cultural information about previously uncharted areas of North America. So just as this church was beginning its new adventure in Salem, this pioneering effort to be a church that is faithful to God in this place, at this very same time, Lewis and Clark were charting the whole western part of this country and were encountering unknown things and many dangerous things along the way. Two full years, this core of discovery, these 40 men in Lewis and Clark, just went out into the great unknown. Can you imagine? And some of you maybe have a pioneering, adventurous spirit about you, and that sounds awesome. I think for a lot of us, that maybe sounds daunting or even terrifying, or even foolish. You have to be a special kind of someone to be a pioneer like that. Lewis and Clark are but an image of the type of pioneering work that we're going to talk about of Jesus Christ of Nazareth today. What Jesus has done for the world that's laid out just in short summary in Hebrews 12, 1, 2, and 3 we get an image of that in Lewis and Clark by their expedition of the West. So today on this Palm Sunday, we look at particularly verse two, where it describes Jesus as the pioneer. See, there's the tie-in. The pioneer and perfecter of faith. If you're reading the NIV, that's where it says pioneer and perfecter. And if you know me, I usually use the ESV, and that's what the Pew Bibles are. Um, And I doing a little bit of a curveball so I could get the word pioneer more explicit. And that's the NIV. The ESV uh, says the, uh, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So this word pioneer, you could translate it pioneer, you could translate it founder, you could, you could translate it author. It's the beginning. Jesus is the first one. That's the idea. But there's something about that word pioneer that I think in an American spirit kind of draws you into maybe the adventure and the cost of what Jesus was trying to do as the son of God. What does this mean that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith? And what practical implications could this have for our life today? Last week, again, we talked about the life of faith and we talked about a number of things, but one thing I maybe didn't make as clear as probably I could have or should have, maybe I took this for granted, is that faith in the strictest sense is living life with no guarantee. 
know, the scriptures say we live by faith and not by sight, which means that you don't necessarily have a guarantee when you're living by faith. That's, that's kind of the, the definition of what faith is. You're living with no guarantee. You're stepping out into an unknown something. It's like when you're low on gas in a place where you've never been and you say, I'm going to keep driving in faith that there's going to be a gas station up ahead. In one sense, you kind of have no other choice. And so you're living by faith, hoping that there's going to be a gas station coming up. But last week we learned that from Hebrews 11 that faith is, the, de- the definition we're given is faith is the assurance or the confidence of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. And so that would lead us to maybe say then that, to use the same illustration, if you're low on gas in a place you've never been, bore, been, been to before, but you have someone in the car with you who has been there before and who tells you, there's actually a gas station two miles ahead and you can make it there. You're still living by faith because you don't necessarily see it yourself, but the faith is now solidified and found confidence in the person who has gone before you and knows that what you need is there in front of you. So that's kind of an introduction to the pioneering, perfecting spirit that Jesus is gonna hopefully assure us with today. So let me give you a couple of points that'll hopefully kind of give some some practical hope for you as you live by faith in the pioneer and perfecter of faith. First thing I want to talk about is anywhere you go in life, Jesus has already been there. So to give you just a one-word summary of that, it's the assurance of presence. The fact that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter means that you have the power of presence in your life that's on your side. So again, think about Lewis and Clark, the great unknown. Think about how different the West is from the East. I've, I've spent like this much time out West. Some of you have spent a lot more time out there, but it's pretty different. The landscape is different. The animals are different. The climate is different. Some of you guys know this and things are different. And a lot of it, you don't know until you experience it. But the assurance as a Christian to know that no matter what unknown you're going into, it's not unknown to Jesus who goes with you. So being the pioneer of faith, where then did Jesus go by faith in front of you? Let me just give you a rundown real quick. In some sense, this is a synopsis of Holy Week. Jesus went into the world of sin in general. He knows this place. He knows the sin that fills this world and Jesus entered into it in full. Jesus went to the Jordan River to be baptized. Jesus went into enemy territories in places like Samaria where people didn't normally go who were from Jewish background. Jesus went to the Gentiles. Jesus went to the tables of sinners and outsiders and those who were scandalous. Jesus went into small, obscure villages throughout Israel. Jesus also went into the center of Jerusalem into the, and confronted the heads of religion with boldness and courage. Jesus went to the temple to clear the money-making tables when they were set up in the middle of, 
of the, of the temple and were kind of using the temple for their own selfish gain. Jesus ultimately, of course, went to the hill of Golgotha and went to the cross. And Jesus went, as it says in another place in Hebrews, into the Holy of Holies to break the divide between God and man forever, tearing the curtain metaphorically on the cross. When he died on the cross, the curtain, it said, was torn in two, this this separation between God and man. When Jesus died on the cross, it was him spiritually entering into the place where only God could go and dividing, breaking the divider so that you and I could walk with confidence behind him into the place where only he could go. That's, That's what a pioneer is. Someone who goes in front of you to the place where you couldn't go or you're too afraid to go or too weak to go. He goes in front of you and accomplishes something for you so you can follow after him. And then later, after Easter, which we'll get to this in about 46 days. No, 56 days, sorry, my math. Pentecost, ultimately, Jesus comes into the hearts of every believer through the Holy Spirit and is with us always. So there is literally then nowhere you can go, spiritually speaking, or even the physical realm, that Jesus himself has not already gone. Meaning that there's no truly, purely pioneering work you can do because Jesus is the ultimate pioneer. He has gone before you. I hope that brings some some confidence or some assurance that the fear that you rightly experience when you're going to do something new or do something for the first time, that you're not truly alone that you're not going into uncharted territory. Jesus has gone before you. If you're going to a new geography or place, a new city or state or country, or a remote spot in the wilderness while you're hiking and you don't know where you are, or if you're an astronaut flying to outer space, anybody want to be an astronaut in here? Anybody still want to do that? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to. We got a rocket scientist here. I don't know if you knew that. What about scuba diving? You might want to go deep into the ocean. That seems pretty scary to me too. No thanks. Some of you may love that. His presence is everywhere. Psalm 139, if I go into the highest of heavens, you are there. If I go to the depths of Sheol, you are there. If I make my bed anywhere, you are there. Jesus is the pioneer of all things. And it's not just geography or place, but it's also feelings or emotions. There's any anger you go into or frustration or joy or sadness or fear or even temptation. Jesus has been there. Or a circumstance, like a new job or a new relationship, or if you're being accused of something, you're like, why? I've never been in this scenario before. Jesus has. He knows what you're feeling, what you're going through. He's gone there before. Again, Hebrews earlier, chapter four, verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but rather one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He is the pioneer in the most comprehensive sense possible. He created us. He's one of us. He knows us. He knows you. The presence of God eliminates paralyzing fear and discouragement 
Because as Deuteronomy says, again, just to show that this has been consistent of God from old to new, Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged because he goes before you. You can go anywhere and not be afraid because Jesus has already been there. You're never the first one that's going where you've gone. We walk into soil that has been tilled every time. You're not, you're not breaking new ground. I hate breaking new ground. It's hard. And thank God we don't have to because Jesus has tilled it before us. And he invites us into that work. Now I'm getting ahead of myself. This is, this is not to say that there won't be uncertainty still in life. There certainly is. I mean, to state the obvious, right? Of course there's uncertainty because all of us feel it. There's things we don't know. There's fears we have, certainly. But the paralysis, we don't have to have overtake us anymore. So planting a church, starting a new job, following Jesus in fill in the blank doesn't have to paralyze you because Jesus goes before you. He calls you into things and he invites you in to what he wants to do. So the second point, if presence is the first big point, the second big point is freedom. Many, meaning, and this is going deeper into something I've already started to say, freedom in the sense of anything you go through, Jesus has already gone through as well. And how that brings freedom means that it's not up to you to achieve something. There's a freedom to just live your life knowing that, that Jesus has actually already done whatever you're being called into better than you can do it. And so you have two choices then. You can either compare yourself with Jesus consistently and say, gosh, that Jesus is so good at everything. He's perfect at this life. And I, I can never be like him. And you can be jealous of Jesus, which is, it's kind of, it's kind of silly to even say aloud. You have the option of comparing yourself to Jesus or you have the option of saying, because Jesus did it perfectly, I can just live it with freedom, live my life with freedom, knowing that he has perfected whatever I'm being called into. And he's gonna bring me along into it with gentleness. So think about like movies or, or books or stories you've read or maybe even experiences you've had where you've seen it said or, or said yourself, someone has been here before I was here. Like imagine, imagine you think you're walking into something that, that is fresh or new and then you get there and you see evidence that actually someone else was there first. That gives you some assurance at that point. So I was reading a, a biography recently of a guy who hiked Mount Everest and he talked about at each step, when you got closer to the top, to see evidence of previous camps that were there, leftover water bottles or tents or other things, those evidences that other people had actually been there before, despite how hard it feels at that moment, reminded him that this is possible, that this isn't truly unknown fresh land, that people can actually do this. It provides a confidence in you. 
it shows that the impossible now actually feels possible. There's, um, I've been watching a lot of March Madness. It's now April, so I guess it's April Madness now. The final four basketball was last night. Sorry, I'm a sports fan. These are just my easy go-to illustrations during certain times of year. But I read a story, this isn't necessarily basketball related, but it's about one of the coaches of one of the teams that made the tournament this year. And he's the head coach of Princeton, which is very famous for academics, not so famous for men's college basketball. They're not necessarily a, a prime contender every year. But the coach of Princeton actually played basketball at Princeton back in the mid-90s as well. And his name is Mitch Henderson. He played for Princeton in 1996 when number 13 seed Princeton pulled off one of the biggest upsets of all time by beating the defending national champion, number four seed UCLA. It was a stunning upset. And Mitch Henderson was one of the players and he made a big play at the end of the game. And there's actually a famous photograph of him at the very end of the game, jumping up with joy because they won and that someone snapped a picture of it. And it's now the lasting image of the victory that Princeton had that day. Flash forward to today, he's now the head coach of Princeton and his team made the tournament this year. And guess what? Number 15 seed Princeton knocked off number two seed Arizona in one of the biggest upsets of the modern era. And it was a cool comment after the game, someone was interviewing him and they said, you know, did it help that you had been down that road before and had experienced it yourself? Did that help you know how to talk to your team? Like, did you share your experiences? And he said, he said, my team knew about it. He said, but I didn't make it about me. I kept the focus on them. And he said, actually, it's a great relief to me that they won this game because now they can finally take down the old picture and replace it with a new picture of this team and the accomplishment that they've made. I thought that was such a great, humble answer of a pioneer who did something, who paved the way for his team, but now is focusing on what it means for them as well. And so as we think about now transitioning from pioneer to perfecter, Jesus is not only the one, not only just the one who has gone before us into the unknown, but he's also the one who has perfected faith for us. He lived the perfect life of faith before us in advance so that you and I can step into life with freedom, knowing that we don't have to be perfect because we can't be perfect. And that's paralyzing to try to be a perfect person. Jesus has been the perfect person. So now we get to follow in freedom and just say, I'm living on his righteousness. I'm living on his perfection. And now I can step into the joy that he has prepared for me. How did Jesus live his life of faith perfectly? Obviously he was God in the flesh, the son of God. But practically speaking, he still had the same realities that you and I face. So how did he do it? Did he live for his own glory? Did he pursue his own ends and his own career path and his own highest achieved destiny? No, of course not. Jesus lived by faith and he took that triumphal entry into Jerusalem that we're celebrating today willingly, purposefully to fulfill the prophecy that was given in advance of what the Messiah would do. 
And so, yes, Jesus does not invite us to go into places where he himself has not willingly gone himself before. So Jesus doesn't invite us into danger or risk without first confronting the ultimate danger or risk himself. He doesn't ask us to leave everything behind and to look to him only without him first leaving everything behind and looking to God only in obedience. He doesn't ask us to take up our cross and follow him first without him first going before us and taking up his cross. And he doesn't ask us to be willing to lay down our lives and sacrifice for each other in love without first laying down his life in love for everyone. So you see how the pioneer and perfecter work hand in hand here. Jesus lived the life of faith you needed to live, yet couldn't. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father. He was the perfect revelation of God to the world. He was sinless and spotless. He was the perfect sacrifice and substitute that would satisfy the propitiation of God's righteous indignation that he had against sinful humanity. And so therefore, the freedom you have is your job is not to live a perfect life, not to follow all the rules perfectly, not to be sinless, not not to mess up, but to live in the freedom of the grace of the gospel of Jesus, his life for yours. Feel that freedom as you step into faith. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You are free to live because you don't have to be perfect. So therefore, the last point, anything you do for Jesus in faith has more purpose than you'll ever fully know. So summarize it, purpose. Presence, freedom, purpose. Jesus being the pioneer and perfecter of faith means that you can live a life of purpose without the burden of perfection, without the fear of doing it for the first time all by yourself. And that's why the great command here is to fix your eyes on Jesus. Look to him. Don't let your eyes get off of him because he is your faith. Notice it says the author, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Not just your faith, but faith in general. Jesus is the faith. So the faith that you and I profess is what Jesus possesses himself. So a few grand reminders of your deepest purpose then is that everything Jesus invites us into is for your good. Psalm 23, he leads us into green pastures and invites us to lay down in them. He leads you through death into those green pastures. Romans 8:28, God works all things together for your good, for those who have been called according to his purpose. You are part of God's story of him redeeming all things. So where you and I find great purpose is that, yes, Jesus is the perfection, the, the perfection of faith himself. He is the pioneer, but he invites you and I to walk alongside him in that journey. Again, he knows every roadblock. He knows every turn in the road. He knows every dangerous spot. 
And yet he invites you to come with him to do his new creation work with him. To bring life into a world that needs it. So again, I just think of the story of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. When Aslan, the lion, you know, the God figure in the story, whenever he begins going on the move towards the end of the, end of the story, it says, wherever Aslan goes, the snow began to melt and green grass began to come up again and the, the trees began to bloom and blossom. Flowers began to come up. Winter was ending, summer was returning. And that's Jesus going before us and he invites us to do that same work. So that's the purpose of the church is to bring that new creation work. And so Jesus is waiting for you in the new creation, which he himself has opened up. And that's where I want to read this quote from the front of the bulletin today that I just was so moved by this week. It's by a a theologian named N.T. Wright, who has written a lot about heaven and about the hope of heaven and how it's really greater than what most of us even imagine it could be. But he has this great paragraph here, which you can follow along with on the front of your bulletin. It says this, made for spirituality, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, we are satisfied with sentiment. But new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of this present world. That, quite simply, is what it means to be a Christian. To follow Jesus Christ into the new world, God's new world, which he has thrown open in front of us. And he's thrown it open because he's the pioneer and the perfecter. Our job is just to follow him. Keep your eyes fixed on him and follow him wherever he goes. And where you're going to end up? New creation. To close... Lewis and Clark, remember them, 1804. They took a two-year journey, explored the whole West. Big pioneers, amazing work. They came back and were celebrated by the U.S. government for all the, the things that they learned and the maps that they created. What followed after that? One of the biggest joys of my childhood, the Oregon Trail popularized by this computer game when I was a kid. But in reality, the Oregon Trail followed that, which was thousands of people who now, because of the ones who went before them and carved the way for them, the trailblazers of Lewis and Clark, now these wagoneers left what was behind and went forward into a new place, a new creation, you could say, to settle a new life. Yes, with danger. Yes, with turns. Yes, with things that they were certainly not going to expect. But they had a better idea because of Lewis and Clark who went before them. Final quote I'll give is going back to Mount Everest. Um, The first person who climbed Mount Everest was a man named Edmund Hillary in 1953. And he was very intent on being the first one to climb Mount Everest because he said, quote, 
no one ever remembers the second person who climbs Mount Everest. Which, by the way, to give him his due, is a man named Ernst Schmied and Jörg Marmot three years later. But the point is, Jesus was the first one who did all this. You and I are going to be anonymous, just like Ernst Schmied and Jörg Marmot. Fix our eyes on Jesus. He's the famous one. He paves the way of faith. Let me close us in prayer, and then we will take the Lord's Supper together as we begin this Holy Week. Gracious God, thank you for sending Jesus to be everything we can't. We graciously and joyfully receive the faith that Jesus shows us. So as we take the Lord's Supper now in just a moment, may we have that gratitude filling our hearts. May we identify our sin and and acknowledge our weaknesses and our brokenness and repent. But may we also look to Jesus and say, thank you for him. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the joy that awaits us one week from today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.